Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Due to COVID-19, Shir is pre-recorded on Wednesday afternoons. It's not Tuesday sometimes. But Hashem, we have what to blame it on. Shir, the Nishmas, Shalom, and Bishia. Shleishim today. A yid, which you could truly say was a chassid. No airs about him. No wishy-washiness. He didn't necessarily live in Dal Ramitz, Kran Heights. And for his own personal reasons, which nobody needs to delve into, the Chitseni is part of it, didn't really have a, a very long beard. Pure, utter Chitsenius. Man was a Pnimi. Not only a Pnimi, but the man was a soldier who the Rebbe knew he could rely on for every Shrit and Trit. Anything that was needed, he knew he could turn to Shalom. Although he went by the name Sidney sometimes, but the Rebbe actually said to him once by Fabregen, and it is an involved story which I'm not going to get into. Tonight is the Shleishim. It's going to be a Zoom broadcast of the Shleishim. And he's a one he's a person that I don't know how many people in the world have a right to be Maspid. He was beyond respected. His clientele Fesregim ranged from the most elite Shebelit to the simple of simple. And you know what? Nobody was told you're not important enough for me to serve you. He served the guy that said that if Shulam gets me Give me some kind of discount. I really can't afford it to see the lul of the essay. Any service, the person that walked in like royalty with a shamus, with a gabai, and sat with them and showed them his elite boxes, is to have a room, still have the room, with the elite schreder. That was on the table and open. And he would bring it out. It'd make you feel so important because it had four checks on it, five checks on it. Oh, uh-huh. and then he looked at it. And anyway, it, it didn't have a price tag on it. He looked at the essay. He looked at your face, and he said, "How much do you think it's worth?" If you were enthralled with your essay, you ended up paying for that. But that was only because, not it's not his business manner. 
Because if you said you're holding a $300 esrik and he charged you $100 for it, first things first, you're going to say, uh oh, something's wrong. And you'd start looking again and scrutinizing and taking it out onto the street with the light and the moonshine and the sunshine and the Yechejivas. The but if you paid the three hundred dollars that you said, ah, it's worth three hundred dollars, you were miyaka the mitzvah. You held that lulav and in a whole different demeanor. You looked at it entirely differently. And this is how a mitzvah is. It's not a piece of jewelry. A piece of jewelry, if it's worth a diamond, is worth X amount of money. That's what it's worth. If I charge you an exorbitant amount more, it's, it's I know, it's, it's fooling a person, and it's an iser. And if I give it away, I'm a fool. <coughs> Excuse me. A mitzvah is not like that. A mitzvah, you look at it, and you say, oh, I know personally, when I go, I go with my kids to buy They'd give us a whole smorgasbord of a shagim to choose from. And somehow, I'll open up and look at an essay and say, Ah, this is for this kid. This is for this one. This is for that one. And they'll come and they'll look at it and they'll be so happy. Ever so happy that they'll pay whatever they have to pay for it. Because it's really, they feel, oh wow, this looks like my esrik. It almost looks like it has my name on it. And he would go every year in the summertime, in the sweltering sun, picking, hand-picking esrikim. With that very intention, it wasn't, ah, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money on this esrik, I'm going to make a lot of money on this esrik. I'm going to be mezaka people with this esrik, and mezaka people with that esrik. Someone's going to be very happy with the second. And the fact is, though, that people used to take a shagim and say, eh? And the next guy looked at it and said, wow! So, gay fashtay. Gay fashtay. And they say, according to the way we daven in Yom Kippur, that's how our esrik ends up looking. On the Shani Yom Kippur, the tulis are reflected in our esrik. It's a pre eight holder, that's what the tater says to take, and therefore we take and we do what we can. So when Rav Shalom sold that essay, he was with Zaka, you were the mitzvah. Simchas Yomtiv, Visom Machta Bechagecho. It was a great joy for him. Not going to say that he borrowed money after Yamtiv to make Yamtiv. Sure that he got plenty, plenty of Shayim left over. I'm definitely not going to even think or dream something I don't know about as far as his tzedakah goes. How many people he actually gave Shayim to. But he has the, an array of pictures with the greatest of great, the holiest of holies. That sat and took a shagim by him. And there's a lot of mechle shagim. There's a lot of people shagim shagim. So, having people coming to him, whatever they were, whoever they were, 
the greater and the more prestigious. And he gave them a shagim, they looked at the shagim. And I'm sure nobody necessarily took the first essay he presented to them either. I'm sure they said, let me see something else. Or he showed them, like, two or three. But the bottom line, I'm sure there's a lot of people that just brought an envelope like and gave it to him and said, this is what I was going to pay. And he probably didn't even look inside. We'll stop at this before we start to cry. should be good to better for the entire mishpacha, Shia and the sister. Ainaklach, the children, the wives, the in-law children. Be'ikir for his wife, Zayn Shtag, some longing, Zunta, Feilachiyon. Now, let's give a share. Magid Varaliyaki, Chukov, Mishpat of the Israel. We say it every day in Davening in the Haluka Kitizamra. He says his words to Yaakov. His commandments, his laws to Israel. So we ask the question immediately Do you for one minute imagine that Akadish Baruch Hu imposes upon us to do a certain mitzvah and he himself doesn't do it? And the Medish says just that, and the Bamitzvah boy says this in his Maima. Now those tell others to do things but they themselves don't do them. What he does, he tells them to do. Not what he tells them to do, he does as well. What he does, it's Dvarov, it's Chukov, Mishpatov, it's his mitzvahs that he himself does that he then not imposes but gives the merit for us to do so that we have a question as the positive commandments so the negative commandments as the mitzvahs that we are supposed to do the mitzvahs are saying and they wish to do those so too the mitzvahs say that we are told not to do HaKadosh Baruch Hu also doesn't. But let us look into our parsha today. Chumish Devarim Perek Yud Beis Pasek Yimel and Dalet V'nitatztem Es Mizbechesam Came into the Holy Land and you saw the altars that the Goyim had set up that the heathens had set up you must destroy them, you must demolish them. And then the Pasuk continues and says, Do not have a forbid do this to God. Destroy their altars, their idol worship and everything else. But don't do this to Hashem. Don't destroy His temple. Don't destroy His Beis HaMikdash. Humph. Double humph. We're told not to do it. As we just said, Magid Mishpat of Yisrael. He himself does it. 
He shouldn't be doing this either. Not only did it, he sent special people, agents, his messengers to do this. What's happening here? How is it possible that such a commandment that we're told not to do, but Yerakadish Baruch goes blatantly does so? Halakhically, there is an instance where you're allowed to de- demolish. It's almost similar to in Halakhah Shabbos, but it's very more, much more involved there. And that is Say Salmanas Livnes. To demolish in order to reconstruct. Especially if you're going to do something better than it was before. And the Rambam emphasizes that if somebody damages something in Beis Hamidosh with destructive intent, maybe you should tell people what his punishment is. But if it's to enhance the structure, then you'd be allowed to break it. So too, we understand the permissibility of HaKadosh Baruch Hu sending messengers to Rachman al-Islam destroy the first and second Beis Hamidosh. The Medish Yalkut Shemeni says, Bo Aryeh, Mazel Aryeh, The lion came, the Aryeh, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel at the time. And he rose up in the time which is the Mazel of Aryeh, the constellation of the lion, which is the month of Av, and destroyed Ariel. He destroyed Ariel, which the Besamidish is referred to, we see in Navi Yeshaya. Perik of Tes, Pazik Aleph, referring to the Besamidish as Ariel. Why? So that ultimately, the lion, the Aryeh, will come during the Mazel of Ari and reconstruct Ariel. It's being destroyed so that it will be rebuilt. We see from the words of the Medrash that the destruction of the temple was in order that provisionable, provisional upon and for the sake of the third Beis Hamidosh, which was ultimately different than the first two, as the first two were built by by person, and the third will be built by HaKadosh Baruch himself. So it was not a destructive intent, but rather for the sake of upgrading and improving. New and improved does not make sense. 
but here to upgrade and improve the Beis Hamikdash. We said the first two were temporary built by man, and this third one by Hakadosh Baruch Himself. So, therefore, halachic standards tell us, dictate that the demolition of the Beis Hamikdash was not Shalom, an act of destruction, but rather an act of restoration. Your borders will expand. Like I'm telling you. And you would say, I'll eat meat. Why? I have a desire to eat meat. Tells us the Tere Rakhazak, the Vilti Achilles Adam. Be very careful, do not eat the blood. If you keep your score at home, the Gemara Chulin Tezayinam and Beis, 16th side 2. According to one opinion, there, during the years of the desert, the only meat the Bnei Sa were allowed to eat were from Karbanis, from the sacrifices. So it's necessary for Moshe to tell them now, when God expands your borders, you no longer be only de- limited in the desert, but you will r- arrive in the land of Israel, you'll be allowed to eat meat everywhere, not just sacrifices. Whenever your soul desires to eat meat, even from an animal that was not a karm. This permission granted to consume meat that was not from a korban, when once, once we entered the land, this therefore shifts entirely on the spiritual focus that accompanied the Israel's transition from desert to Eretz Israel. Bear in mind, the Miraglim did not want to go into Etzisrael because they were on a tremendously high spiritual level. Everything was based on spirituality in the desert. Now, upon entering the land, everything becomes physical. In a natural level. They have to work on the land, settle the land. The divine mission now becomes taking the physical and turning it into spiritual. Giving it a godly purpose. In the desert they needed nothing. They they had everything they needed. The clouds washed their clothes on them. And so too the clothes grew with them. And the food came, the mon, the slow, everything came by itself. All they needed to do was work on their spirituality, developing their spirituality, studying Teda. So therefore to eat mundane meat was unheard of. Animals were for kabbanas, sacrifices in the temple. 
And only then, if a karmen shlam, you brought you brought you to eat the meat. When could it, a piece of meat that's non-sacrificial be eaten, consumed, only once they entered the land of Israel? Now they could partake of the physical world. Even things that are not sacred for themselves, as the karbanis were. Now they had the ability and the achrayas, the responsibility, even in their most mundane desires, to infuse spirituality and infuse godly purpose. But ironically, the Pasuk says, Strengthen yourself and refrain from eating blood. Why? Blood is the soul. Sure, not many of you have been to a slaughterhouse. The when they slaughter the animal, the neck is open, and there's a spirit of blood that comes out after the shechita. And then a second spirit of blood comes out, and then a third one goes very, very strong. The third one is when the nefesh goes out. Here the question is, the damu nefesh. The question becomes, seriously speaking, you're not telling me don't eat blood. You're saying, Chazak, strengthen yourself not to eat the blood. question is, what's this severe warning of strengthening yourself? So the Baham HaShemikra asked the question. He says, Pasuk, Tera, first mate, why are you putting such an emphasis that I need to strengthen myself from refraining from eating blood? And Rashi brings two interpretations. One is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, and one is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Azai. And the truth is, I believe there's a sikha, I don't, I'm not delving into that sikha, where the Rebbe explains not only that what they're saying, which we're about to do, but explains the, the quote of who's being quoted here. Why it's a Yehud and what's a Shem Okay, we'll have to get them another time. A Yehud says, the reason it says, Chazak, is they were used to doing it. It was a common practice thing that they would drink blood, eat blood. Therefore, the Torah has to warn them: you better strengthen yourself not to. In contradiction to this, Shimon Ben Azai says, "No, no one was eating blood." 
If I mentioned eating blood, everybody would throw up. Because it's, it's disgusting. Zakhtan's to Tana. Tana Gdash says a Kalvachema. Juxtaposition. Madach blood. Which nobody wants to eat. The tailor tells you, Chazak, be very strong about it. Even though you don't even have a taiva, the tailor says, be strong about it. How much more so all the other mitzvahs of the tailor. How careful we need to be. How strong we have to be about keeping the mitzvahs. So this is why, says this is why Tzedah says Chazak by blood. Now technically these are two contradictions. Rabbi Yehuda says they did eat it and Rabbi says they didn't eat it. So what are we up against here? What are we actually up against? Explanations as follows. But again, bear in mind we're giving an explanation. Shivan Panam Lateda. Seventy ways of explaining Tera. Although this is a clear explanation, it will clarify your question. There are many different commentaries that delve into this very subject. The first explanation explains very well the connection of the concept of chazak. Concept of strengthening yourself when it comes to blood. Why? Because if you says they were shtufim b'damachli. They were regulars at eating blood. So the Teda goes to great lengths here to warn about this, to strengthen yourself, especially strengthen yourself, not to continue any longer this custom. I got a question for you. First of all, 40 years before, Eden were warned already not to eat blood. And at that point, it didn't say Chazak. Also, it makes no sense to say that 40 years they were told not to eat it and they still didn't heed the, didn't heed the warning. They were still not just occasionally sometimes somebody ate it. It was a regular thing. Forty years ago, they were told not to eat it. Therefore, Rashi says it doesn't make sense. To say that after forty years of that's they were still eating it. 
So Rashi brings a second explanation. It's not for the prohibition itself of the eating blood. You don't need to warn about that. Nobody's doing it. Nobody has any kind of taiva for it. Taylor says, Chazak to teach the as we said before. And to tell us how much we need to, we need to strengthen ourselves when it comes to Taylor and Mitzvahs. Therefore, there's no reason to really explain, explain that Abitur Yehuda and Ben Azayr is actually a Machlekes with the Etzim Metzias. Whether or not they were Shtuf Medam or they, were, they had no Taiva. It's possible, totally possible, that nobody wanted to eat blood, like Ben Azayr says. But still in all there were people that used to eat it. They got used to it. They needed medicinally, or because of Amuna that there's different schoolers, they believe there are different remedies. So therefore, Rabbi Huda says they were stufim, they were used to it only because they needed it for certain things they used it for. Not necessarily because it was their pleasure in life. Therefore, these two explanations also represent two levels in service to God. The inner lesson that we take from this, the prohibition of blood, to purify the soul of a person from his animal instincts and from the mundane. The first shlav, the first step is going with a pure spiritual level. But when the person is still in a physical mundane level, and his Nevesh Bahamas still has him by his neck, this person is told, Chazak, turn away from your Tavis. The person already reaches to the level that Ain Nefesh Adam is no longer has a Taiva, and the Nefesh Bahamas already was put away, all these physical mundane things in the world. Now it needs to be told, Chazak in the mitzvahs, strengthen yourself in all the mitzvahs that you do. In this Shlav, in this level, he needs to be Chazak with all the things that he gets involved in. And to go higher and higher in mitzvahs, and attaching the person to holiness and to godliness. So much so, that there's no physical world left, and he totally becomes involved only in godliness. Another subject in this week's parsha. Safeguard, Shomer, the month of Aviv, of spring, and offer a Pesach to Hashem. Shem Yagad.
For in the month of spring, Hashem, your God, brought you out of Egypt at night. Taylor commands us to structure a calendar in a manner that ensures us that spring arrives on the 15th of Nisan, the day Pesach begins, even though we did have snowy Pesachs, sometimes, rarely. The emphasis placed on the timing of the Shemtiv also highlights the message that's conveyed by the by, by, by the Oviv, by springtime. What is the message of springtime? During the months of winter, there's almost no sign of plant life. I'm talking about obviously in the, winter, in the New York winter. Winter concludes... However, the process of growth that was until now totally dormant whoo, springs to life again. Flowers start blossoming again. It becomes evident that the lack of growth that we witnessed the whole winter was a temporary pause. And it was to allow nature's rejuvenation So a fresh crop, vegetation, can blossom, thrive. The Yidin were in Golis, similarly in Mitzrayim. They suffered bitterly in Egypt. Oppressed body and spirit. Only later did they see how much it refined them. Only later did they see how in 50 days they were able to be ready to take the Tata. because of all the trials and tribulations they were subjected to. And the same is true for us as individuals. If we ever experience a period of life, seems to be, Rahman al-Islam, barren, no signs of productivity or growth, we need to realize that this barrenness is almost certainly not permanent. It's not a permanent reality, Chazashon. It's merely a temporary break so that we can rejuvenate and blossom and flourish again. And this is the lesson that we take from springtime. And therefore, it's done dafka on the Yom Tov of Pesach where we saw that very message. Story is told. story is told in Russia where the Yidin Rahman al-Tzan were very oppressed by the communist regime and were studying Taylor in caves and cellars 
pretty serious situation. And obviously, the threat of death hovered over them at all times. There was one particular basement, shall we call it, basement based medrash, where the people would sit and learn. It was quite cramped. Every breath of air was counted for. <clears throat> and there was one ignoramus, a Yidnabach, that couldn't learn. And he used to join this Bismedrish here, this underground Bismedrish, every day. One arrogant Talmud Chochem approached him one day and says to him, Rabbi, it is so cramped down here. You can't learn anyway. Why are you down here and making taking up space? And if you go out, maybe somebody that can learn can come in. Why are you here? Simply, he smiled. I said, I'll tell you. I was once sitting alone by a table in a bar. And a few tables over, there was a bunch of hooligans. They were planning a revolution. And the police or the government got hold you know, wind of what's going on. And they stormed the place. They raided the place. They were hitting and beating the stuffing out of them. All of a sudden, one of the policemen grabs me and starts beating me. I said, hey, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. I have nothing to do with them. I said, maybe yes, maybe not, but you're in their proximity. You're just like they are. Whoa. I learned such a powerful lesson, he says. I learned from this that in the proximity of people you become like them and with them and one with them. And therefore I too I'm rubbing elbows with you. I'm counted, I will be counted even though I don't understand the word. But I'll be counted amongst you. Where does this neshama come from? Where does the soul come from? From this batch. And this batch sat and studied Tater. I want to belong to that batch. And I know for a fact that that's how it works. If you're in proximity with the batch, you're in with them. I ran into a little problem. I don't remember who made this marshal and who gave this marshal now. It was not the Dubna Magid. I don't think it was the Benesh either. It could be. It was a king. It was very into seeing his nation, how they live what he can do to improve things, what he can do to, what he doesn't have to be doing. And he'd go see his subject secretly, he'd go incognito. 
One day he tells the Prime Minister, I want to go to the hospital. He says, come on, Your Majesty, what's going to go to the hospital? What do you learn in the hospital? There's got to be something. And they come to the hospital, and there's a man lying there dying, writhing in pain, crying out, screaming and yelling. And the king says to him, tell me, sir, why are you crying? Why are you screaming? Why are you yelling for? I'm in terrible pain because I was bit by a dog. And whatever the dog was carrying is going through my body and is killing me. Is there no remedy for this? Yes, there is, he says. To the stranger, who he did not know was the king. The remedy is if you take that dog while it's still alive and remove its liver while it's still alive, you can make from the liver a medicine for me. The king says, let's go catch the dog. Sorry, Your Majesty. Why? Because the dog bit me. I got so angry at him, I killed him. So he's long dead. Oh. Oh. Okay. And they left. The Prime Minister said, You see, I told you you wouldn't see anything here. He said, oh, did I see. Oh, did I just learn a lesson? He says, What? He says, I learned a lesson. When someone does something, you don't jump and punish. If I want to put somebody to death for something, I'm going to wait overnight first. Had this man not killed the dog on the spot, it would have saved his life. But because he acted and reacted immediately out of pain and anger, his whole life solution was gone. I'm going to be careful now. I don't punish on the whim. Somebody's punishable for something, I'll make sure to look after it. During the time of the Chassam Sefer, the Enlightenment movement, Chaman al-Islan, was very, very, very powerful. They would sneak in all these secular books into the yeshivas. And it would get, they would turn the boys' heads now. Well written and smart and everything. Probably in Yiddish, so nobody even realized how apikursish they were. And Chassam Sefer gave out a chedim. excommunication to anyone, for anyone to read these books the books were in Khedim well the boys avoided it after all such a powerful expression from Hassam Sefer one night a boy woke up a tremendous burn he had to go read one of these books And he was just about to grab the book when he saw a man standing there with a sword. He got petrified and jumped back into bed. 
waited five, ten minutes, nothing happened. Excuse me, he did it again. He went to look for it again. Again, the man with the sword. Garnished. He says, I'm not trying a third time. Three times, not lucky. Left it alone. The next day, some safe was giving a shear. He was giving a shear, and he was saying how Chedem, Chedem, is the same letters as Remach. Remach means a sword. And if there's a Chedem against something, it's like falling on a sword. Needless to say, none of the Bakram understood what he was talking about, except for our little friend. But he understood now where that sword came from. So we see, therefore, the different lessons that we take, whether it be how to react to something that disturbs us, whether it be to find ourselves amongst a crowd that rejuvenates and that gives us life, or whether it be to avoid being within Dalaramis or places of things that we should not be. To being Chazak Vilti Achel Adam or etc. Jumping to joy in our parsha tells us. She rejoices in your yomtiv. We find a very interesting let's not call it a machlekes or a dispute. Different tracks taken by the Rambam and the Alter Rebbe. Shekhanarach Erechayim says Tavkuf Chavtes Sivvav and Zayin The seven days of Pesach, the eight days of Sukkot, the Yom Tov Shuas, a person is obligated to be happy and in good spirits. He, his children, his wife, Chobin and Pesach, his whole household, and anyone that depends on him has to be happy on Yom Tov. And this is a mitzvah say, a positive Ten Commandment. It's written, How do we cause this joy that people should be able to rejoice? Children, it says, give them roasted kernels and nuts. Women, you should buy clothing, you should buy uh, jewelry, according to how much a person can afford. At times, the base English men will eat meat from the carbon slum. Nowadays, the base English is, is lacking by us at the moment. For another few moments, or even not even that. So they fulfill their obligation to rejoicing by drinking wine in a very limited quantity. One is not obligated to imbibe to the extent that they can't find their heads and toes. 
The Altarebbe's wording indicates by enjoying these physical treats, shall we call them, one genuinely fulfills the mitzvah of The ideal joy for men, though, was achieved in the time of the Bishamidash. They were able to partake of Karbonis. But in its absence, the drinking wine does, does the trick, shall we say. And therefore, it says that a person drinks a Revius wine every day, not more. Some people are very Mahadar. They say Revius is. A bottle, two or three. Tiramam, on the other hand, suggests that the simcha, the joy that we're obligated to feel in Yamtiv, is spiritual. First and foremost, spiritual. The joy of bringing and eating the Karim Shlom and the physical aspects are all secondary. So therefore the Rambam writes, even though the rejoicing mentioned here refers to the Karbam Shlomim for a man, included in his joy is to make himself, his children, and members of his household joyous, each one accordingly, how so, as we said before, children with nuts and the women with, with the jewelry and clothing. This difference of opinion, shall we say, not machlikas, it's borderline debate, but you can't say debate either because they lived way, way too far apart. The Rambam and the Al-Tarebbe mirrors itself in another discussion. A discussion about the delight in the divine revelation. In Gilad Ashkenah, How will we see Gilead Ashkenah in the world to come? The Rambam writes, the world to come, Elam Haba, there's no body, there's no physical form. The Shamas, the Shamas of the Holy Ones, the Tzadikim, without a body. The Hilchashuvah says, the Altarebbe writes, no, no, no. Since mitzvahs are intended to refine and elevate our physical bodies, the reward in Elam Haba will be experienced only after Tchiyas Only after the Nishamas come back into the Gufim. According to the Altarebbe rules that both body and soul need to equally experience not just drinking and imbibing, but spiritually as well. Further towards the end of the Pasha. Pasha tells us when it comes to the mitzvah of tzedakah, of charity, open your hand. Pasha A is always in the proximity of Rishchidish El. This Shabbos is Shabbos of Archimel. 
Chedesh of, of, as we said, is Rashatevis, El Bo. El is coming, so the whole of already ready for it. Chamisha Asr Bo, we said, is Gimatria, Ksiva So we're very ready for of, for El. But the egg comes Mamish on the border of El. Either for Shabbos and El or Shabbos and Varchim El. We know the connection between the Pasha and the time. The time that we're reading it is always not circumstantial, not coincidental. We need to find the mitzvah of Nasina Tzedakah. Ki yebecha evyein, there'll be a poor person. Leis amitz is the lovecha. Don't harden your heart. Vaseach tiftach as yedecha. Open your hand. As the Rambam counts off here this merits in order to merit that the days of the Yom Niroyim, the judgment is stressed, is stressed, emphasized through the midst of Tzedakah. And therefore, no agul kol beis Yisrael laharbis b'tzedakah by sotev masking mitzvahs. Now I'm right to say, Chuvah Perek Aleph Halachadalid, that people yidden should customarily add in tzedakah and charity and in good deeds to involve themselves in mitzvahs. Question arises: Why mitzvah tzedakah different? Dafka, that's what you have to strengthen. Truth is today more than ever. People that give out for the poor families, they give out for Yamtiv, they give things out, they distribute things. First of all, it's harder today than ever was. I mean, personally, at my own level, I know I give out to my Tzavit, to my staff, and it's extremely, extremely trying today. People are very tight for money and people are very hard and it's, it's push it. Food is still expensive whether you want to say it or not. So tzedakah for Yamtif is a tremendous, tremendous thing. Although the organizations are giving away tremendous, tremendous amounts and there are those by tzedakah that are really, really tremendously supporting it's hard. It's times are hard. Chazal tell us, Kabbalah's ill. Sorry. The, Kabbal, the way to get the Kabbalah's Ashefa, Makadish Baruchu, to keep his score at home, is Gemara Brachis, Yud Zayin, the top of Ahmed Bez, 17, the top of Sai 2. The whole world lives off tzedakah. The tzaddikim live off the natural. The kaf. This shefa that's given to the world, anything that the world has, is given in the form of tzedakah charity. Because the world is not fit to have it, to receive it. Also, however, tzaddikim they get it because they deserve it. Like the Kerach Azrael, like the arms, strength, their own merit. 
Therefore, they are mer- they merit to receive the, from the kayak of their of the work, the toil. So, Kol Beis Yisrael asks to merit the Shefa Baruch from Hakadosh Baruch of the Shana Chadasha. We need to put an emphasis on tzedakah. Hakadosh Baruch Hu customarily treats us midah keneged midah, an attribute, and I propose to the other attribute. When we multiply in tzedakah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us multiple of tzedakah. And it's mezakos with bracha, reiv bracha, and shefa. But we can't request that it should be Bizraya. Come on a natural way. And therefore we understand also, modern these days, not only tzedakah, but tefillah, the Ramam says, v'nagul kulam lakum balayla, People to get up in the middle of the night and spell about the Knesias, Divrit and Chumim, Tachnunim, Kivushim. Avedis Hashem is divided in generally the two different levels, Kima Tere Mitzvahs and Tefillah. And through doing the Tere Mitzvahs, a person accept, uh, receives all that they need according to the Din. And as it's been promised by Akadish Baruchu, if you go in my ways, in the ways I command you, I will give the rain in its time. When it comes to tefillah, to ask for chesed, even though the person is not fit for it. Therefore, we add also in prayers in we know that our work, our deeds ourselves, are not necessarily worthy enough to all the Shefa and Bracha that we're requesting. And we need to come out to the Tzedakah and the Racham of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, we add in our Tefillah, in our prayer, we supplement. At a deeper level, also the actual work and service a person merits to receive in accordance with their way of tzedakah and chesed. The way a person is perceived in, the God's, in God's eyes, that's how God treats them. Because God says in tzedakah matitani, if you're giving tzedakah, you're not giving anything to me. Because Baruch Hu sees how you're giving, and giving again, then the Kodesh Baruch Hu does for you as well. And this is the, therefore the importance and relevance of adding in tzedakah through this v'zecha to aksiva, aksima teva, shana teva, suka, tev, hanira v'anigla, in Yerushalayim, in Akkadish, this very Shabbos, to Shabbat Shalom to all.